This last week we started our series that we're going to be launching into the fall, discussing. It's called 24-7. It's how to be a full-time follower of Jesus. The whole, the whole point of this, last week if you were here or you remember, we uh, had a pie up here on the stage and, um, and, and I think it made it back to Valerie's house and was still edible, so that was a win. Um, but we, we cut it up and we were saying that a lot of times as we picture the, the Christian walk and the, and the journey of walking with Jesus, following him, following the way of Christ, most of the time, whether consciously or subconsciously, we are imagining that growth and, and really uh, where we're heading in our faith in order to, to grow and develop, what we're trying to do is increase the size of the, the piece of the pie that belongs to Jesus where we are increasing the amount of our life that really falls into that slice. Because we all have different parts of our life. It's work life, it's home life, it's hobbies, it's friends. It's all sorts of things. And we want to increase that, that church Jesus slice to be as big as possible. That's the wrong way of thinking about it. Because as we look at the New Testament, as we watch the apostles' lives, as we investigate their teaching and the teaching of our Savior, our Lord Jesus, he, he calls us to much more than that. He wants to be a part of every area of our life. So we, we are necessarily going to have pieces of our life, and some it's somewhat compartmentalized. Some of it's at work, some of it's with home, but Jesus is in all of them. So we're saying he wants to be like the filling, like the apple pie. He wants to be the apple in all of the pieces of pie, that he is the reason behind, the empowering force behind every area of our lives, not just in certain sections of our life. And so that's the challenge. Really, that's what growth and maturity looks like in the Christian journey is inviting him in to all of the rooms of our life and saying there's no area that's closed off to you. You are Lord of my life when I'm at work, when I'm at home, when I'm with my friends, when I'm doing my hobbies, when I'm everywhere in life. The mundane is, doesn't exist. There's no difference between what's, uh, what's, what's you know, holy and what's just mundane. It all belongs to Jesus as we journey with him. And as we look at this, there's so many different sections and, and, and areas that we can look at for how to do that, right? Because that's, that's what it comes down to. Now it becomes a journey of how do we do that? How do we surrender more? Because if you're a human being, you know that this is difficult. If you're trying to walk with the Lord and you're a person, you know that this is hard. It is hard to do this. It's hard to invite him in and be conscious of his presence everywhere we go at all times of every day. It's hard to be uh, inviting him to take control over certain circumstances and situations in our life that we encounter on a week-to-week and a day-to-day basis. But that is the journey, inviting him into more and more and giving him control of every area of our lives. So we want to think about what that looks like as we journey with our Lord uh, in the the day-to-day, the week-to-week, and so on. And one of the great, I think, and, and maybe under underappreciated studies in the New Testament is to look at the transformation in the lives of the followers of Jesus, the apostles, especially his closest followers, and how things change for them so dramatically and so drastically, and what's behind those changes. So we're going to be looking at that this morning. I'm going to start us off in Matthew chapter 26, and then we're going to transition over to Acts to see how things transformed for the apostles, particularly this morning, just looking at Peter to, to launch off into this discussion that we're going to have this morning. Peter's life 
completely transformed. Now, you may know, be familiar with the character uh, of Peter. He's, he's kind of the, the apostle who's most likely to just shout something out, whatever he's thinking. Like, it, whatever he's thinking in his head finds its way out, and everyone else knows. You never have to really wonder what's going on in Peter's brain, because he just announces it. And sometimes that gives him credit. There's one time where he's like, uh, Jesus is like, hey, who do you say I am? He's like, well, I know, we say you are the Christ. And he's like, oh, that's great. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. You know, Jesus affirms him. And then he turns around in the next sentence and basically the next conversation. And Jesus is like, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. And Peter's like, Lord, may that never be. And he's like, get behind me, Satan. And like, so he, it got him in trouble and it got him some kudos. Like it, it was all over the place. It was a mixed bag with Peter. Uh, in this particular passage, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start in verse 69. This is when Peter has been, or Jesus has been arrested. He is being tried. Peter has followed him to this, uh, to this courtyard, the courtyard at the house of the high priest, where he's sort of observing from a distance what's about to happen to Jesus. What's going on? What's, what's going to take place right now? And so here's what it says. It says, now Peter was sitting in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he, Peter, denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said said to the people there, this fellow was, was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. One of the other gospel accounts actually says that Jesus looks up at that moment across the courtyard and they lock eyes because Jesus knew what had just taken place. Peter, given this this situation, and it's an intense moment, I don't want to under play that at all. This is an intense moment. Jesus has just been arrested. They don't know what's going to happen, even though Jesus has told them repeatedly what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen. They're they're nervous. They're afraid. And Peter stepped up to at least follow Jesus to the courtyard. But just like he was predicted by Jesus himself, he's now denied knowing him three times. So even though he was, he, his heart was in the right place, he's trying to go the right direction, he falls completely flat in this moment. And it's probably I'd have to assume in, in Peter's life, it's probably what he would regard as his greatest failure. This moment, right now. He doesn't have really the, the, the wherewithal or the ability or the boldness to stick with Jesus in this moment of need. He denies knowing him. Now, fifty day, if we fast forward about 50 days later, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up in front of a crowd of people on the day of Pentecost and he preaches the gospel boldly. And here's what it says at the conclusion of this message that he gives in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to his number, to to their number that day. So Peter preaches a sermon, 3,000 people come to the Lord. A couple chapters later, actually the next chapter, he he, uh, participates in healing somebody 
And then a crowd gathers because when someone gets healed, people want to see what's going on. This is someone everybody was familiar with. He would sit by the gate and beg for money every day on, uh, as people on their, were on their way to the temple. And they healed him so he can now walk. And so the crowd gathers. He preaches another message. In the middle of this message, he gets arrested. He gets brought before the religious leaders who were the same ones who were trying Jesus in that courtyard. And in, in the midst of that, he stands up to them. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 18. It says, They called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So Peter goes from having servant girls and other people in the courtyard come up to him and say, you were with Jesus, right? Saying, no, I don't know the man. To standing up in front of the actual authorities and saying, you tell me, should I obey you or God? Because I'm not going to stop speaking about what I have seen and heard, about what I've experienced. There is a major transformation in the mindset, in the boldness, in the willingness to step out for the name of Jesus that happens within Peter in those 50 days. There's a, it, it just a complete transformation. And there's a lot of things that we could point to as a result of, uh, you know, that, that results in this transformation. But what is it that really was the cause behind it? I think there could be a couple of things. You could say it's being able to, to come face to face with his risen Lord, to see Jesus and realize this is the real deal. Like, like he's not going to get put, you know, sent to his death and then this whole thing's going to be over. He is God. And so now I'm going to stand up. But I think the even more important factor is that there's, there's, a new, there's a new person introduced into the scene that happens between Jesus' ascension and this, these moments when, when Peter starts sharing the gospel. That is the Holy Spirit empowering Peter to do the things that he's doing, to say the things that he's saying. He is who made, makes all of the difference in this scene, the Holy Spirit himself. Jesus also called it in his ministry. He called it, he told them that this is what was going to be how it would go. In John chapter 16, this is the night that Jesus was betrayed and, and was arrested. He's spending his last time at the, at the Last Supper with the disciples. And he says this to them in John chapter 16, verse 7. Truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. And his followers are like, I beg to differ. He's like, no, but it's for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. This is a challenging verse, to be honest with you. John 16, 7 is a challenging verse because I think for a lot of us, this is hard to believe even now. In, in where we're living now, we, we put ourselves in the apostles' shoes and we can understand the uneasiness or maybe the doubt about this kind of statement because quite frankly, most of the time, we're not living this way in such, in such a way that we accept and understand and really experience the idea that we're living in better times here and now than the apostles were when they were walking side by side with Jesus Christ. That's a tough one, isn't it? But that's what he, our Lord, tells us. It is better for me to go away because I will send an advocate, the advocate to you, and he will be with you. He will indwell you. He will walk with you every moment of every day. That's what his promise was. And we see it beginning to take shape in the lives of the apostles, particularly Peter, as we looked at this morning, where he goes from being a Christ denier in public to a proclaimer of Jesus Christ in public in 50 days. 
and the transformation is wild. It's, it's, uh, it's very noticeable as we look at the life of Peter. So, uh, we need the Holy Spirit if we are to give God our entire lives. We're going to be 24-7 followers of Jesus, not, not those who sometimes proclaim him, sometimes, sometimes deny him. If we're going to be a 24-7 full-time follower of Jesus Christ, we are going to need the Holy Spirit indwelling us and empowering us. Now, the Bible teaches us that when we say yes to Jesus, we receive him, we receive the Holy Spirit. And so presently, presently, you right now have as much of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life as you will ever need. The trick is having yourself in the position to hear from him. So if you are a believer in Jesus, you have as much of the Holy Spirit as you'll ever need. The trick is for, the, for those of us who are in Christ to begin to say, I'm submitting, I'm laying down myself, my will, my abilities, and I'm going to pick up yours for you to live and to speak and to act through me. And we, we can have that kind of relationship with God. But really what it comes down to is moment by moment submission to him and his will in our lives. And it, it just an understanding and a recognition of his presence moment by moment that can transform us from the inside out. But there are obstacles to this. There are so many obstacles that get in the way of us walking in step with the Spirit. And I think that's one of the great ways for us to look at this is if we're not living into this, I'd venture to say most of us in this room have the sense that, no, I think I'd prefer to have Jesus with me for the next three and a half years than, than to go on how it is right now. If that's the case, if you're with me and you would say that in your honest moment, then there's some things that we need to look at for obstacles of why we think, why we feel that way and why maybe there's a gap between what we are supposed to expect based on what Jesus said to us about the presence of his spirit and maybe what we're living in right now and what we're experiencing as we're trying to walk as followers of Christ. So there are a ton of possible things that can get in the way of us walking with the spirit and living as full-time followers of Jesus. And the first one that I want to point out this morning is comfort. Now, I'm going to ask you a question for each one of these. Comfort, the question to evaluate this is, is my life just too safe? Because here's one of the things we see in the life of Peter and the life of the apostles in, in, in God's word. What happens is sometimes they have to cross over from this area of comfort to an area of unrest, to an area of of a lack of, almost like a lack of peace. Stepping, I've heard it said, uh, one of my mentors used to say, we need to step out of the safe zone and, and into the faith zone. Like we're, 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 we're in the safe zone, we're comfortable. Like there's nothing challenging us. We don't feel like we have a need. Like if you're okay, you're not looking for help from someone else. I've never seen someone who's not struggling with something ask somebody else for help. But when you get to a situation where you need help, you're challenged to the point where you need help, now that, that changes. You become dependent on something or someone else. What we need to do is learn how to live in a dependent manner on the Holy Spirit. But that's going to require us to step out of our comfort zone, out of our safe zone, into a space where it's like, if you don't come through for me, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Uh, whether that's a big thing or a little thing, can be a moment-by-moment -moment thing. If, if you don't come through for me right now, I, I'm, I'm not going to know what to say. That could be something as simple as that. But not being reckless, not being unwise, but dependent upon someone else and recognizing the limits of ourselves and realizing we need, to, we need to stretch those because God wants to work through us. We can't be held back by our own limitations. He wants to do big things through us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Do not quench the spirit, that, that idea of the word quench, we think of it as, as quenching a thirst, but really, even in, in Webster's, in our English definition, the first definition is about putting out a fire. 
So some translations say, do not put out the Spirit's fire. And I like that imagery. The Spirit is like a burning fire. But we can quench the Spirit. We can put out that fire in our hearts and lives. Even though we have all of the presence of the Holy Spirit, He is completely present with us. We have as much of the Holy Spirit as we will ever need. We can quench His influence in our lives. We can put out the fire in our hearts and distance ourselves from Him relationally so that He's not living through us in the way that he intends to. We are constantly getting in the way. One, one, of those things, one of those ways that we quench the Spirit is through just living too comfortably, living in our own power, and not stepping out into a place where, where we're challenged. Comfort, is my life too safe? We, have, we need to be careful not to quench the Spirit by just never being challenged and never feeling like we have a sense of need for the Holy Spirit. The second, the second obstacle is volume. Is my life too loud? It's hard to hear a voice when there's other voices speaking to you. You can't really decipher what that voice is saying to you because there's other distractions that are going on. Am I right? So just call and response here. Am I right about that? You guys, am I right? Yeah, okay. You guys can kill it. Yeah, if there's other voices, you can't understand what's being said, right? You're like, what is going on? (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Those were, um, those were video clips or, or audio clips from uh, some of our other Oak Point locations, a uh, family of churches. And so they're doing church this morning too. They weren't live. But um, we strung those together. If we, if we hear a, a hundred voices, we can't pick out any one of them to really take home the message. And I think a lot of times our lives, just quite frankly, our lives are too loud in this day and age. We walk around constantly available to the next ding or ring in our pocket that tells us that somebody wants to get a hold of us. Oh, I do have it. It's right here. This thing goes with us everywhere. And we, we, are, we are constantly distracted, even in our day-to-day lives. Sometimes someone talks to me and I'm like, I'm sorry, what was that? You know, like you, you just go around through life where there's, there's this constantly inundation of information. And we're never still and we, we lack quiet. We lack that silence in our lives to be able to hear. And if God speaks to us in those quiet moments, we, we need to make sure we carve out enough of them so that we can hear him. Because the reality is that the Holy Spirit's living in our lives trying to speak to us. He's living in our hearts, trying to lead us. But if we have all those voices constantly playing, we can't pick his voice out from the crowd. And that's part of the issue, I think, in, our, in, the, in the Western church today is, is simply that we're not, we're not still enough to practice the presence of God in our lives, to, to understand his presence is with us daily. We see this play out in the Old Testament. I think this is just a beautiful story uh, from the life of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, Elijah has gone from a mountaintop experience, experiencing a great victory as a prophet. He challenged the prophets of Baal, and God showed up for him in a big and miraculous way. And, uh, and, but then he goes from the mountaintop to the valley right away because he knows people are coming after him now because of this situation and, and this, con- this conflict that he had. And so he goes on the run. He goes on the run. It's almost like a, like a faith blowout right after this mountaintop experience. He goes on the run and God wants to speak to him. God wants to get his attention. Um, and so we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll start in verse 11. So the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord 
is about to pass by. He's like, Elijah, go, go stand out so you can, you can sense my presence, understand my presence. I'm going to come, I'm going to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. This is last several weeks here in Canton. We had the, we had the, the tornado that came through, came right through the heart of Canton. It lifted up those, uh, the, the, what are those things called? Where you, the gazebos, yeah, where, where we would we'd go do our little church hot dog hangouts a couple summers ago. It picked them up and threw them, you know, one on top of the other and just destroyed all sorts of stuff. Uh, I, I was on, or on 96 yesterday driving west toward East Lansing. I'm not going to tell you why. Uh, but on the way, there were these, there's these trees that are just snapped in half like they were toothpicks. Like just snapped. I don't know if you've drawn, driven past Williamson since that storm, but it just, the destruction was unbelievable. So that, that's the kind of imagery, except even more extreme. It's not just breaking trees apart, it's breaking rocks apart. There's this crazy wind, and it tore, apart, uh, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. It says, but the Lord was not in the wind. The next thing that happened uh, was there was an earthquake. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. Sometimes God shows up in fire, but this time the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, catch this, after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of a cave. And the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? God spoke to him in the gentle whisper of that moment. Not in the earthquake, not in the wind, not in the fire, in the gentle whisper. And so often in our lives, that's how God wants to speak to us, but we live in such volume day to day and, and week to week, we can't hear him. We don't, we don't give him a chance to get, to get a word in edgewise because he is just constantly, uh, his voice is just drowned out by thousands of other voices that are, that are going on and, and just making it impossible for us to discern his voice in our lives. So it's this time that we can spend with the Lord in the word and in prayer and just, and just in silence and quiet and in solitude at times where we, we need to have those moments. And there's even a felt need for this in our world, like outside of the church, outside of faith circles in general. There, there are apps being produced out there uh, one of them's called Calm. Another one's called Headspace. It's just an opportunity for, for a person to get unplugged and silent and quiet and away from devices and all of that for a period of time. So even outside of the church, there's, there's a sense of need for, for silence and, and understanding that our lives are just too loud. They're just too loud right now. And for those of us who are walking with the Lord, they're too loud for us to recognize his voice in our lives. So I think that's a huge obstacle to walking step by step, walking day by day with the Holy Spirit and, his, and understanding that his presence is with us because our lives can just oftentimes be too loud. The third area is defeat. Defeat. Sometimes we have unconfessed sin that gets in the way. So the question is, do I have unconfessed sin? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we talked about quenching the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 30 talks about grieving the Spirit. He said, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, which is a very complex uh, thing to understand. We cannot fully grasp the Trinity. But God is one. 
There is one God, and he exists in three distinct persons. The Holy Spirit is a person. We think of, we think of the Holy Spirit like Star Wars, like the Force. Uh, you know, may the Force be with you, empowering things and making you able to do things that you can't otherwise do. But that's an impersonal force. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person who, who just uh, inspires us and illuminates things to us and, and empowers us as we walk day by day. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The way that we grieve the Holy Spirit is when we separate ourselves from him, when we go our own way, when we commit sin, and we don't give that up to him. We are all going to make mistakes. We are all going to sin and, and, and mess up at times in our life. That's why Jesus came, because he knew we cannot be perfect. And so when those times come, we don't, you know, just because we are going to sin, that's not an excuse to continue to live in it. We surrender those moments to the Lord. We confess them to him and repent of them, turn away and walk in a different direction. Uh, so sometimes, but we, sometimes we live a pattern of defeat. Sometimes we become complacent in our sin patterns and in the things that we know that we shouldn't be doing, but we're going to keep doing them anyway. Why? Because it'd just simply be too hard to try to change or because we don't care enough or because, whatever it might be because I enjoy that thing, whatever it is. Uh, sometimes we just cycle through in sin patterns. And it is very difficult to walk moment by moment. I would say impossible to walk moment by moment with the Lord, step by step, day by day, when we are harboring and hiding away sin patterns that we know we shouldn't be participating in, but we're not confessing and repenting of before God. The way that it works in our relationship with God is grace. We we are saved by grace through faith. We trust him. He gives us grace. He does not give us the punishment we deserve. Now we have relationship with him. We have eternal life. All of those things come because God has grace on us as sinners. And yet, we are still called to, to, to surrender to him, to give things over to him. We're still called to live our lives in a certain way as to distance ourselves from sin. And so because of our faith in Jesus, if we trust Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, we, become, we are in relationship with him. Like he is up here, he brings us, we are in relationship with him. But sometimes when we sin, this is our position in Christ. Our position in Christ, I believe, is secure. Once you have said yes to Jesus genuinely, There's nothing that can take that away. That relationship, that position with Jesus is secure in him. But what can can change is not our positional status, but our relational status. What happens is we can begin to sin and draw away from him and distance ourselves from him. And all of a sudden, even though positionally we are right there, we are on the level with the Lord. He's brought us up there. Relationally, even though positionally we're good, relationally we can become distanced. And we can draw away, and there can be this gap in our relationship with the Lord. We can sense it, and it can inform how we're living, and, and it's not a good thing. But we can, we can harbor sin. That's what's going on. When we're hiding sin away and we're not surrendering it over, there's a relational gap between us and our Lord. And that, ne- that can be bridged immediately when we confess and repent of those, of those areas of sin in our lives. So it's not that we lose our salvation for a period of time. It's not that God has disowned us. It's just that we're relationally distant from him, and therefore we're not living into our calling that he has laid out for us as his followers. And so those are moments when we're living in defeat. And unconfessed sin, it breaks our fellowship with God. But 1 John 1 tells us that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will draw us back into relationship with him. He will restore our relational, uh, our, our relational position in him and not just our positional standing with him. 
So we need to ask ourselves those questions. Is my life too safe? Is my life too loud? Do I have unconfessed sin? And fourth and last, isolation. Do I need more help? Do I need more help? Now, we've all seen the nature videos. You know, it it's always starts by zeroing in on, uh, on an animal that's gotten away from the herd somehow, right? And the Bible calls us sheep, and sheep are vulnerable. And sheep are, 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 herd, are herd animals. They need to be herded together. And when one gets separated, they're especially vulnerable. They're vulnerable to attack from a wolf or whatever. And, um, and we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we're not isolated. Because this, th- there is no examples of an isolated follower of Jesus in Scripture. It is a communal faith. It's an individual faith. We need to receive Christ individually and personally. But it's played out communally. And we lose track of that in the Western world because we are so independent, culturally speaking. We've just learned to live on our own. We don't feel like we rely on anybody else or anything else for our our day-to-day. And yet, we're called to live in in a close community and in fellowship. One of the number one uh, illustrations for for the church, there's actually two major illustrations for the church that really um, pronounce this loudly. One is a family, and the other is a body. So that's what we're supposed to be as, as a group of believers. We're supposed to be a family and a body. The family is, is we're brothers and sisters under, under our Father in heaven. And the body is, we are all in need of one another. The right hand needs the left hand. The eye needs the nose and ears and all of that. Like we need each other in order to thrive. And so it's impossible to thrive as an isolated Christ follower. We cannot thrive in our relationship with God when we are cut off from the community of believers. And again, this is something, I I love it when God's truths that we see uh, portrayed clearly in Scripture, when when people study it just on the the earthly perspective, uh, even separate from faith and things like that, it oftentimes confirms these things. It confirms these things. There's, There's a thing known as Dunbar's rule of three. He's an anthropologist. He's studying cultures, Dunbar. And he came up with this rule of three. And basically, it's you divide by approximately three for each of the numbers. It starts with like 1,500. That's as many names and faces that you can pretty much commit to memory. After that, you're kind of like, I'm losing these names. And that's why sometimes when you, depending on uh, your, your uh, Facebook profile status, you might have a lot of friends. And sometimes you see someone post and you're like, I'm friends with that person, but I don't know who that is. That's because you might have more than 1,500 friends on there. You can't retain all those faces and names. So that's, that's, the, that's the big group. You can have 500 people um, that are sort of like your peers, like people that are around you, not necessarily, not really your friends, but uh, they're, they're, they're people, they're acquaintances, they're people that you know. And then you can have about 150 people who you might consider friends. But then beyond that, down to 50 down to 50, that's going to be like a, a little bit, those are maybe 50 good friends, 15 even better friends, like 15 kind of close friends, and then the group of one to five, that, that's what we would call our intimates, the people who know the good, the bad, the ugly, they know it's inside and out, we don't keep secrets from them that probably, uh, and hopefully if you're married, that might include your spouse or your best friend or maybe um, some people that you live in community with week by week. That's sort of what we can maintain, but it's also a mark of a healthy life. If you're like, yeah, I have like zero intimates. Uh, that's something that, where, that maybe it's a challenge to you to maybe go out and reach out and try to find. You can't build these overnight, right? This takes time, but where you build some closer relationships with people 
around you. And so that's just been observed just in, in, in studying human behavior and studying people and realizing that's, again, that's what we need to thrive. The word for one another, by the way, in the New Testament occurs over a hundred times. And a lot of those are commands of how we are to care for and love and live in community with one another. So at the end of the day, our role in walking with the Spirit and growing in our faith, it's, it's more about posture. It's more about putting ourselves in that position. Because one of the interesting things about our relationship with God and our relationship with the Holy Spirit and our, our growth in our faith journey is that it's both active and passive, right? I mean, we're being commanded to be transformed. Tra- being transformed is not something that we do to ourselves. We're being commanded to grow, uh, and, and I think our faith journey is a lot like a plant. It's, it's you know, you, when you plant something, you need to read where, is this, where does this kind of plant thrive? Some plants like full sun, some plants like some sun and some shade, some plants like only shade. And if you plant a shade plant in full sun, it's not going to live very long. If you plant any plant where it gets no sun, it's not going to live very long. In the same way, there's nutrients, certain nutrients that, that plants need in, in the soil and things like that. And, and different regions have, you know, plants that thrive in their regions that wouldn't work in others. So if, you know, you go out to Southern California and you grab a, a cactus and you bring it back to the Southeast Michigan area here and you plant it in your backyard, that thing's not going to live very long because it's just not the right climate, not the right nutrients in the soil, not, not, not the right, just not the right anything. But the right plant in the right situation will thrive and will begin to grow and you'll be cutting it back before you know it. Um, we, we moved into our home and there were like no trees or bushes a, a few years ago. We moved in right at the start of the church, which also happened to be right at the start of the COVID season. And so we had a little time on our hands. So I dug a bunch of big holes and planted trees. And I have been living in fear for three years that these trees were going to die because of how much effort that took uh, to plant some of those trees. And every year I'm always watching like that color looks weird. It's supposed to be a blue spruce, but it's kind of looking like off green yellow, like it's not right. And after a couple years, when these trees now have established, they're growing unbelievably every spring. They're just, they're growing a couple of feet at a time. And some of the trees and bushes are at a point where it's like, we need to cut this thing back. It's encroaching on our neighbor's yard. And, and that's exciting. It's great. But it begins to thrive over time because it's been put in the right kind of circumstances and cared for and tended and has the nutrients and the sunlight and all of those things that it needs. We're the same way. In our walk with the Lord, we need the right inputs. We need the right kind of things in our lives. But when that happens, then we start to grow without feeling like we're making it. We're not forcing ourselves to grow because you just simply can't do that. We're not, we, we simply cannot make ourselves grow. But what we can do is make sure we're planted in the right soil and that we're getting the right amount of water and sunlight and all of those types of things. And when that's happening, then God's spirit begins to move within us and we begin to grow. But when we live a life where we're not put, making ourselves dependent on him, when we're not leaving space to hear his voice, when we are living in defeat, when we're not in community around other followers of Jesus, when we are cut off from all of those things, th- there's no chance for our faith to thrive because we don't have the right inputs uh, for, us, for us to grow, for us to grow the way that we're designed to grow. Does that make sense? So he calls us to this. He calls us just to put ourselves in that position. So you're not going to be able to make yourself grow. But you can, your role in this this spiritual growth process is to place yourself in the right posture, the right position where God can, can, uh, he can accomplish that within you. 
In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, here's what Paul says. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always, always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So there's two parts of this. Paul says, just like you always are, keep doing this even more now. Work out your salvation. In other words, live up to the salvation you've already been given. Live up to that level. Like Keep striving towards that level. That's effort, right? That's effort. Sometimes we think, well, Christian life's not supposed to involve any effort. Well, it, sh- it shouldn't feel like you're trying to force growth, but, but grace, this is Dallas Willard quote, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And so as we walk through our lives, it's not that grace is opposed to us trying and putting ourselves in the right position. It's, we just can't, we're not going to be able to earn it, but we can put forth some effort. And so that's what our effort looks like. We're, we're trying to put ourselves in that position because verse 13 tells us it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So there's a, there's a us side has the follower and there's our leader. And we're both, we're working in concert towards spiritual growth. And our major role, our primary role within all of that is to put ourselves in that position like a plant that will grow naturally when it's in the right circumstances in life. So get to a spot where God can grow you. And I think this morning, uh, you know, we're going to continue to dive in. We're, we're even going to look a little bit deeper at some of these areas uh, where we can put ourselves in that position uh, as the weeks unfold during this series on being a 24-7 full-time follower of Jesus. But this morning, I want to take some time to reflect. We can reflect on this. We're also going to reflect and we're going to participate together in the Lord's Supper uh, communion as we celebrate and observe uh, our Lord who gave himself for us. And so I think it's an opportunity right now even also to practice one of the things, one of the, the principles that we were learning about, one of those challenges and obstacles where we can begin to overcome that. But let me read for, uh, read for you a passage from 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper. He's talking about when we participate in communion with one another. And he, he talks to them uh, because they were making some mistakes in how they were doing this and how they were practicing communion. But he challenges them on a couple of things. First of all, he reminds them what Jesus did, that he distributed the bread and, he, and, the, and the wine. And he said, this is my body broken for you, my blood poured out for you, and you are to do this in remembrance of me. And he says, whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He carries on, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we're going to take a moment to do that, to examine ourselves, to invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts, into our lives, to listen even for a moment, to hear, to hear his voice in our lives, maybe to spend a moment confessing some of that unconfessed sin, giving that over to him. And maybe, by the way, you may need to confess it to him, but you may also need to confess it to somebody else in order to begin to overcome. Maybe you need to consider relationships. Am I in isolation? Is there a way that I need to step out into community? And in, in all of this, we're going to be practicing the volume, is my life too loud? Taking a moment of just absolute quiet and silence right here in this place. It's one of the ways we can, be, we can worship God, by the way. We worship God through music. We worship God by how we live. But we can just worship God through a moment of 
silent, quiet reflection, inviting him in. So let's take a moment to, to consider some of these things, some of these questions, maybe one of those obstacles to walking in the Holy Spirit, maybe that stood out to you. Maybe there's something to confess. Maybe you just want to consider what Jesus has done for you and uh, examine yourselves as we prepare to take communion with one another. So I just encourage you, spend a few moments here in silent prayer, and then we'll take communion all together in just a couple of minutes. Let's just sit in silence before the Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you did for us. We thank you, too, for the promise in John 16 that it was better for us as your followers that you would go because then you would send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to live in and through us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to clear out the obstacles, whatever they may be, whether they're isolation or defeat or volume or comfort, Lord, that you would help us to clear those obstacles away so that we can hear your voice clearly in our lives and submit to you as we walk with you day by day. Jesus, would you continue to reveal to us which obstacles are impacting us the most so that we can clear them out and give us the will and the ability to do it, the grace in your power to walk humbly and in submission to you. Lord, we love you and we trust you. We worship you. We want our worship not just to be with our mouths as we sing, but with our lives as we live them out all through the week. We invite you into every area of our lives. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.